The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents of Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more, SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan-friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto-friendly. They've all been well-researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom to three girls, and I'm also a CPA. And an ultra runner. <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> My name is Eric Hall, and I am an ultra runner and coach 
in Raleigh, North Carolina, father of two teenagers and a husband to a beautiful wife. Awesome. Very good. Excited that y'all are with us once again here. Lots of updates and things to talk about. Let's go around the horn real quick. Michelle, what you been up to this week? Okay. I hope I'm in good company here. Um, I'm totally <laughs> obsessed with the Reddit thread, Wall Street Bets, um, the subreddit that's all the people kind of buying GameStop and following it. And uh, I think it's over 2 million members now. So basically the forum's members bid up GameStop shares. And now I think they're up over 1200% in just a few days. So um, obviously it's driven the company's value up. It's like deflated hedge funds. They can't even keep up. Um, and it's obviously not going to last and it's not an accurate reflection of the value of the company, but it's pretty amazing to watch. Um, there's a guy that bought in for I don't know, 53,000. And I think he's at 18 million and he just sold out for eight or something. I mean, this is just crazy. Like it's crazy. It's awesome. And I checked it maybe every three minutes today. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is the most CPA thing you've ever talked about on our podcast, Michelle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this stuff is super boring, <laughs> but I mean, this in the AMC movie theater, I mean, this is, come on, this is fun. Like you don't have to even be a day trader to think that this is I mean, it is interesting, right? Like, oh, absolutely. I'm with okay. you, Michelle. I think it's fun. I think it's fun. Eric, what you been up to? Well, uh, first off, I have gotten a couple of runs in. Uh, we talked about my injury on the last podcast and the one before, and I've, I've come off of that and uh, started getting some runs in, and it's nice. Uh, my Garmin doesn't agree. It said after today's run, I needed three <laughs> days rest, which, which surprised me, uh, but that, that happens. But even more interesting, interestingly, um, I found a new podcast. It was, it was introduced to me by one of my runners. It's called the strength running podcast by mm -hmm. Jason Fitzgerald. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I listened to was episode 174 and he's interviewing coach, uh, Ryan Banta. Um, he is the author of the sprinters compendium and in listening to or reading about Ryan Banta, you might think that it's, it's all about high speed uh, stuff, but he coaches uh, runners of all shapes and sizes and ages. And what I got out of it was uh, Fitzgerald kept asking him to compare his experience with the high school, middle school age runners and runners in their thirties and forties. And um, I just, I really enjoyed his comments about the differences about um, how those, the, the older runner with not just his, the, the older runners say body type or um, let's just say the decrease in their maybe capacity or peak peak ability, but also their lifestyle and how that impacts their time and how that changes maybe how fast they run because they only have so many minutes to get so many miles in and how they forget about stretching and they don't apply some of these really basic concepts and it turns into injury. Cool. So it was good. It was a good reminder. And I'm, I'm trying to take some of those uh, tidbits and apply them to my own situation now that I'm getting back into running. Awesome. Very good. I'll have to check that out myself too. So it sounds like one of those things that, that, that he articulates something that we sort of already know, but we haven't articulated. Do you know what I mean? Which I'm all about that sort of thing. I think that's great. But, but describing various things where you're like, Oh yeah, I totally do that. Or, Oh yeah, that, that's very much what I've done in my life. And, and so, yeah. I think that might be something good to move something that I sort of sense into the front of my mind. So thank you for that tip there. I'll be sure to check that out. I, uh, I will check it out because I'm having like the two worst weeks of training in years. <laughs> uh, Let's hear about it. So, 
<laughs> well, you know, everybody, we already, we already heard about the dog bite last week and, and, and we talked about that. And there was a question as to whether I was going to join you, Michelle, at the Mountain Mist 50K. <laughs> and I didn't. Um, and, and that was the right decision. Um, I woke up on Saturday morning actually feeling really bad. Um, like I had a, a pretty devastating headache all day long. And it just kind of felt like a low level sickness almost. Um, and, and at that point I had been taking antibiotics for several days and, and everybody I talked to said the dog bite would ultimately become infected and it did. Um, and so even though I was taking antibiotics and so I think like the, the combination of an infection with the effects that, that the antibiotics had on my body, um, it just had me feeling really bad on Saturday. Um, and so if I had, driven all the way to Alabama uh, and then tried to run a very difficult 50k race and then driven all the way home again. Um, it just, I would have, uh, yeah, I can't imagine how terrible that would have been. So turned out to be the right choice, even though this is now the second time I have a DNS for this race. Um, so I, I don't know when I'm going to get a finish in this race. Um, but, but anyway, hopefully maybe next year, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll have to kind of see how things shape up over the course of the next little while. And then this week, which I had to drop all the F-bombs before the podcast started to, to, to Eric and Michelle so that I could keep, so this, many little keep this a little bit more family friendly here. Um, I, I activated the stride running power meter that I bought using podcast money so we could get a better sense. And maybe I was being a little bit unfair to stride. And that piece of technology has somehow inserted itself into the Bluetooth cloud in my house in such a way that all of my other technology no longer works. <laughs> and so I can't ride my bike on Zwift. I can't connect to Trainer Road. Um, I can't run on, like all of it doesn't work anymore. And, and whenever I try and like reprogram devices and all that sort of thing, it pops up. Would you like to use your stride? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to ride my bicycle right now, not use a running power meter. And, and so I literally have it outside of my house right now in the refrigerator in the garage, trying to cut off its <laughs> signal from everything else in my house. And still it like, it barely pops up. And, and, and so, so this morning I got up to do a group workout with people like I always do on Wednesday mornings and I couldn't connect to the technology because the only piece of technology that any of my computers or anything wanted me to use was the stride running power meter that was sitting in the refrigerator in the garage. So, so I'm not an IT person, but what does the refrigerator do to the signal? Evidently you nothing. Think it's just going to cut it off? <laughs> not enough. Yeah, evidently it doesn't do anything. But no, that's my idea. I'm thinking about like- <laughs> That's a like, stupid idea. Like, like it, I mean, I was thinking about like, like, like Superman putting the kryptonite in a lead box. That's like what I had in mind. Um, um, I intentionally but, did not ask that question before the podcast, so he did not adjust <laughs> his story at all. Um, but no, it's 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 totally a way. I, I feel like a refrigerator should be like sealing off the the electronic signals that come out of it. But you know, clearly it doesn't. Clearly that's wishful thinking on my part. But but even even I feel did like did you read that is, in the product description of your refrigerator? Did so you, I actually I think he thinks we're in a Marvel movie or something. <laughs> Um, if we were in a Marvel movie and I was Tony Stark, I would suddenly come up with some way to magically fix this and would have like, the best true. bike ride ever. That has not happened. Uh, instead, I have spent 
uh, on three different occasions throughout the course of the day today. One time in the morning, one time at midday, and one time in the evening, I tried to get the workout done and I could not get it done because the stride power meter is determined to just completely undermine my entire electronic Bluetooth training ecosystem. So needless to say, I'm not feeling the stride right now. <laughs> um, and, and, and our promise to, to take a deeper dive into the stride power meter and see how it works and whether it's a good metric for you to have, that might not happen because I think that that's going back to the manufacturer tomorrow. Um, and so we'll see whether when I actually ship it back to hell or wherever it came from, um, if, if that actually will cut the signal out of my house. But but I don't know. At this point, I'm not feeling very confident. We'll see. <laughs> you, you know, I, I have a feeling that somebody from Stride has been listening to our podcast. Right. And, and they sent you a special edition. Exactly. They were, they were like, ha ha ha, we will show him. Uh, we will implant something deep in his Stride that will ensure that that he will never be able to, to train electronically again. Um, it, it, it has, I think more than anything, it actually has brought home uh, for me how much over the course, particularly the course of the past few months, um, and this is true generally, but particularly the course of the past few months since we've been locked down more, how increasingly reliant I've become on technology to, to do my workouts. Um, and uh, at this point, I'm like, to hell with Zwift and to hell with Trainer Road. I, and I don't even want to record my runs. I mean, I'm feeling the same way that Michelle was at the end of our running power meter, meter conversation where she's just like, <laughs> I'm going to take my old Timex and that's it and go run around the track. And that's you could buy a Peloton right now. So I'm not buying a Peloton. <laughs> That'll solve all your problems. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Let's buy more technology. Um, so there, 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 there is some sort of weird phase thing, though, because, because I am looking at various parts at, at buying more technology as a solution. I'm like, nope, buying more technology is not the solution, George. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. Anyway, I'm sure that I will, I will keep everybody updated with this far more than they want to be updated by, about it over the course of the next little while. Um, not I know just some guys you, who make but... tinfoil hats. Like a tinfoil hat? <laughs> so so I, to, to like put the stride power meter inside the tinfoil hat and wrap it up tight, <laughs> and maybe that would keep it from, from, from interfering with all the rest of the stuff I do, from submarining my entire workout setup? Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, Michelle, are you going to tell us about Mountain Mist? I mean, <laughs> I, I finished. There's really nothing else to say. I think it, it was, was last hard. Place. I think we can say that. You didn't finish in last place. Um, I was last place in my age group for sure. So I was passed by at least 200 people this weekend. So so, so not the most uplifting racing experience for you. Uh, you finished, Michelle. It was a tough race. You had some some intervening factors there at the start that made the race much harder for you than, than a hard 50K normally would have been. Um, I'm actually really proud of you for finishing, Michelle. Thanks. As am I. <laughs> As Michelle, am I, Michelle. Michelle, tell us this. Um, does this make you want to do more ultras? Or does it want to make you want to do fewer ultras? Where are you right now in your thinking? The most annoying, frustrating, I literally want to find a therapist because I literally went to the Mountain Mist page to figure out when registration is for next year. <laughs> and I'm just like so destroyed from this weekend. And I'm already <laughs> wondering, like, I'm emotionally destroyed. I'm physically destroyed. 
mentally I'm beyond destroyed. And already I was like, I wonder if registration is open for next year. So I can try again. <laughs> the hilarious so, thing about that to me is the fact that you're actually looking at the same race. You're not like, wow, I'm really destroyed. That was so hard. I never want to do that again. You like want to do exactly that again. <laughs> you're not like looking for a different challenge. Oh, I'm not done with that place. Okay. Okay. I, that makes more sense. That's fair. Oh, so that I, is like, like I have revenge to pay to that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. Okay, so it, that does remind me though of a quotation that I read this week and that I want to share here. Um, there's a guy that we talked about uh, last year on the podcast named Michael Ortiz. Um, and Michael Ortiz um, uh, began running 100 mile runs a few years ago. Um, and then in November of 2018, he just kind of started doing them on back-to-back -back weekends and then just kind of kept it going. Um, and eventually he got to where he had done 60 in a row, 60 weekends in a row, he had done 100 mile runs. And then in came the lockdown. And so he ended up running one of his 100 mile runs around his living room in his condo or in his apartment in New York City. And that's when we last talked about him. Um, was I want to say like April or May of, of last year after he had done one of his hundred milers and kept his streak going. Um, and then he ended up doing like eight more on the treadmill. And then the one he did as lockdown started to let go a little bit in New York City, he ran around his block in Brooklyn over and over and over and over again. Um, well, he, just to revisit real quickly, he finally finished that. Um, he said, set out to say, okay, I want to do 100 straight weekends of 100 mile runs and races. Um, and he finished it back in October. Um, and he finished it by doing laps around Central Park, I want to say. Uh, he ran entirely in New York City where he lives for that. Um, but the reason why I thought of him and thought of that story and want to bring it up with what you just said is uh, they were talking to him afterwards. Um, and he said, quote, humans have short memories and ultra runners have really short memories. The pain one experiences during the race is remembered vividly and even torturously during the race and soon after. But a couple of days later, there you are on the computer again. You've already forgotten the pain, <laughs> unquote. Michelle, I feel like you have the ultra runner mindset clearly shown. I mean, Eric, what do you think? I, I love it. I think that's exactly what the ultra runner mindset is. It's infuriating. <laughs> I can't even, ex I, I'm trying to will myself to be like, hey, let's train for a 5K. And I'm stuck on Mountain Miss webpage, ultra sign up on another tab. It's really so, something here's the, sick. Here's the question though. What's driving that? Is it, I didn't so do what I wanted to do. Yeah, there we go. So it's the competitive edge of, I want to do it again to prove that I can do better. Is that it? I mean, I just like want to prove it to myself. I don't care about y'all. Right. I, <laughs> I didn't attribute that to you wanting to prove to somebody else. I just, you, and I, I honestly, I think that is the, the ultra runner mindset that makes you capable of doing 50 or a hundred miles. It's, mm -hmm. I want one more mile. I want 10 more miles. I want 20 more miles. I want to prove that I can do that. And you know, or fine. And I want to do that, but I don't ever want to be chasing cutoffs again. Like I just like, I, I am never doing what happened last weekend again. Like I need to go do it 
so that it actually works. Also, since you're making me have this conversation that I don't want to have, <laughs> I thought I would just maybe a listener of the podcast, um, thank Caitlin for all of her help because Absolutely. I think from mile 15 to 31, she was at every aid station and checkpoint. And I think at one point she took my vest off and told me to put on, put on a tank top because I was in a long sleeve shirt. I mean, I was totally delirious. But anyways, I really appreciated the help and support. So did she Caitlin, take the video of you cool. at the end? Was that she yeah, she took the video at the end. And then I guess Brandon's going to listen also. Brandon sent a message that was like, are you still here? Did you just leave? And I was like, there's no way I even... It's like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see anybody. I just want to go home. Like, <laughs> so. Um, Michelle, Michelle er, Eric and I are proud of you. Um, Definitely. And, and we are excited to support you in your next ultra race, which is probably not going to be Mountain Mist. I'm, I, I'll venture that. Why don't we go ahead and get something on the calendar a little sooner than that um, and, and, and get you back out there on the trails and have you running up and down and all around and going far beyond the 26.2 mile mark. How about it? Yeah. I mean, I did my 35 minute walk yesterday at 3.0 on the treadmill. So just give me a few more days. <laughs> awesome. Very good. I'm excited about it, Michelle. I'm proud of you and I'm excited about what's next for you. Um, all right. Speaking of ultra stuff, I think actually one of the reasons why, why, why you also like ultra stuff is because you and I are actually fans of ultra running as well. Um, and so, so there was a big ultra competition this weekend, right? Or is that what we yeah. want to call it? Tell us about it and we'll decide what the right name for it is. Um, well, Hoka came out with the second version of their carbon plated shoe and they lined up uh, some of their obviously top professional runners and went after the hundred um, K record, uh, world record. Um, and you probably actually for once, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you could probably speak more to it because I really caught up after the weekend. Um, but my understanding and I watched the end is uh, the infamous Jim Walmsley went out and he missed the 100K world record by 12 seconds, which yeah. I think we calculated at like what 0.018 per, it, I don't know. It was something. 0 0.17 seconds per mile. Yeah. I mean, I just, I know when you told me that I, I was just thinking, but that's not possible. Like, how can you, <laughs> how can you run 62 miles and be 12 seconds shy of the world record? I mean, I know exactly yeah. how you can, but yeah, just reading after that and, and seeing, seeing the way that he sprinted to the finish, you know, yeah. at mile 60 something. Yeah. Um, the, the, the best so, he could. Where was it, Michelle? It was also in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Same, similar setup is um, the marathon project. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, it wasn't on an Indian reservation, but I, I guess Arizona is the pot of gold for weather in January. Gotcha. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, and yeah, and he, 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 they did multiple laps of this course that they had set up and it, it finished on a racetrack. Um, and, and the racetrack had racetrack had this really, really, really long straightaway. Um, and so he turns on to the final straightaway with about 600 meters to go. And so by no means was he like turning onto the final straightaway and just had to like finish the race. Um, and so you see that and you know how fast he needs to run. He needed to run the last half mile in about 250. Um, and he had been running close to about that pace. At that point, he had been averaging about 252 per 800, but he had really been struggling in that last 5K. Um, 250 is 540 mile pace and he had been averaging about 555 up to that point but in that last in that last 5k he had been closer to about 615 pace 
Um, and, and you're watching that and you're like, it's going to be close. He's going to have to shift gears. He's going to have to sprint. He's going to have to try and, and, and pull something together here. And you're watching him in that last two minutes, he is just coming down the straightaway. And so you're watching the view from the finish line with him just so far away and you're watching it tick down. And it's like, it's, I can't, I can't talk. Is he going to make it? And like you said, the time ticks off and then he comes crossing the finish line 11 seconds later. Um, it just, it was. Did you watch I, it live? So I did. Um, it, it had to have been an excruciating thing, obviously, for him to experience. But but even watching it was kind of excruciating because I was like, come on. You, you wanted to I, reach out and grab him on the on the straightaway and but, pull him to the George, line. But George, <laughs> this this whole thing about, oh, he didn't get the world record. Oh, he did get the American seconds. record. Yeah, the he did guy, get the American our friend Brett wrote this in a, in a message after the, after the fact, after we go through this whole, Oh, he didn't get the, the record 11 mm -hmm. seconds. So it's 0. 0.0 what, you know, mm -hmm. per mile. He said, Jim ran a 235 marathon. Then after having run a 235 marathon, he ran a 235 marathon. Mm -hmm. Then after having run a 235 marathon, after having run a 235, 35 marathon, he ran a 235 marathon pace for 10 more miles. Yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing feat. He Agreed. got the American record. The Agreed. guy killed it. Mm -hmm. All the while, what was it? Mile, I don't know when it was. He he ran into the and ripped open his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this this is an amazing feat. You know, this is not something to go. Oh no, this is something to go. The guy's a beast. Agreed. He's an absolute beast. I agree. Yeah. And, and yeah, roughly halfway through the race, he, he ran into a tree or a fence or something like that. And so it sliced his shoulder. And so all the finish line pictures you see him crossing the finish line, he had, he's bleeding from the shoulder. So, so yeah, um, I, I'm glad you said that, Eric. And, and I think that's a good note to, to end our talking about Jim Walmsley and his, his new 100 K American record, because you're right. Um, it's the, the, Oh, it was so close. Oh, it's such a disappointment. Yeah, you're right. It really wasn't. It was phenomenal performance. It was a new American record. It was the second fastest time that anybody has ever run for 100K. Um, and there's even some people inside the ultra world that are saying, you know, the conditions were harder for Jim Walmsley. Um, that that when that record was set a few years ago, it was uh, with a, it was kind of wind aided and, and the conditions were perfect and all that sort of thing. Whereas Jim ended up running um, most of it basically the back two thirds of it by himself by himself um, yeah um without the the aid of the wind or anything else like that so, and so this yeah, guy's this I guy's agree. 31 years old he he goes out and crushes his own fastest known times he's not done mm -hmm. agreed this is, this is not the end of the story agreed all right so on that note 31 years old jim walmsley Michelle, is Jim Walmsley the most famous ultra runner we've ever had in the United States, or at least the most famous ultra runner we've had in the last couple decades in the United States? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. balls to the walls, crazy. He's everywhere. Mm -hmm. He hits the road. He hits the track. He hits the marathon trials. Mm -hmm. He goes and runs a hundred miles. He wins Western. I mean, he's just, mm -hmm. he's great. He's a great ambassador for the sport. He's fun mm -hmm. to watch. He's down to earth. I mm -hmm. think, you know, just yeah. kind of puts his head down and trains hard and Sometimes he, he blows up and he blows up big, mm -hmm. but he's done some pretty awesome stuff. So agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And he, and he notably didn't blow up on this one. He ran it much more controlled in the first half. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, so that, that and was, I, that was interesting as well. I do think this is the beginning of, um, 
you know, I think we saw a lot of really impressive um, once systems were in place for track meets and everything last year, but a lot of the big ultras, um, they didn't really come back last summer and mm -hmm. they all seem to be, I mean, I don't even think you can register for a 100 anywhere right now, but these guys are all going to have that same mentality, you know, as the track runners and the road runners have been having when they've been given opportunities to race. So in a few months when, you know, Leadville starts up and UTMB and Western States, I mean, I think, I don't know where Jim himself is running, but I think we're going to see kind of that same tier of impressive running that we saw, you know, on the track and on the roads the last few months. Yeah. Uh, these guys are just aching to race. So I agree. Yeah. I'm and and, and even in the, in the small number of races that they did have, like if you just look at the JFK 50 back in November, sure. you know, yeah. Hayden Hawks went out and ran that and ran 518. Um, you know, and, and, and broke the course record, broke Jim Walmsley's course record from, from yeah. only a couple years prior. It's um, going to be so, a yeah. fun year to be a fan of, of ultra running. So right on. I agree. Um, Eric, speaking of uh, being a fan of ultra running and, and, and roading and all that sort of thing, we got announcement this week of some very well-known and very controversial road technology coming to the trails, right? Yes, we did. The, uh, in fact, I would almost say from a, a surprising uh, manufacturer, I agree. Um, North Face has uh, come out with a uh, carbon plated trail shoe. Uh, what is it? The Vectix? I'm trying to trying to figure out how you say that. Yeah, the Vectix. Sorry, the flight. The flight Vective. If if your shoe doesn't have at least two names now, it's not going to sell. So. North Face came out with a flight Vective. Uh, they are uh, out crushing records um, with uh, many athletes that have had prototype shoes. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see if this technology moves into the into the off-road scene and actually makes a difference. You know, uh, they, the the claims of these shoes are interesting and you've you've done extensive talks not with me on the show but you've done extensive talks with you know what makes one of these shoes with the carbon technology in them better um i'm not sure that it really applies off-road not, not on a real off-road trail so mm -hmm. you know i don't see it in enhancing dampening i don't see it uh, maybe providing some spring maybe 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 that's the only effect you get from it but all the energy that goes into that spring came from you. So any energy you get out of that spring came from you. So I, I'm, I'm interested, but I'm, it seems to me to be more of a, a trying to apply a technology off-road that's really built for on-road use. Yeah. So I'm, we'll I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm not even that optimistic about it. I'm, I'm going to be cautious. Only You're curious. You're curious. I'm curious. And, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm curious too. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, we have talked a lot about carbon plated shoes on, on this podcast before. Um, you know, I mentioned the JFK 50 just a minute ago, the winner of the JFK 50 two years ago. Um, so that would be the 2019 JFK 50 actually was wearing a pair of Nike vapor flies in that race. Um, there's a long section on the the Appalachian Trail on that race. And so it's not as if it's a non-technical race, um, but it finishes the last eight miles on the road. And I on think that that's, that's kind of what he had in mind when, when he, he made that choice. But yeah, we've talked about how the there's a lot of different theories basically about how uh, carbon plating actually promotes efficiency. Um, and like you said, I'm not sure that, that 
it's necessarily going to apply in the trail context, but I guess we'll see, right? Camille Heron has done so much stuff um, in Nike 4% and, and in Nike Vaporflies and Next% Percents and all that sort of thing, but most of that was on the road. Um, um, I do think also, and now I want to hear what Michelle has to say, I do think also that, that there's been um, a lot of focus on the carbon plate when in fact, as we've talked about on this podcast oh. before, it's the foam that, that does it more than the carbon plate or at least it's the system together that does it. And that you can't just say, oh, the plate does it without the foam. It's, it's actually the two of them together that do it. Um, and so I wonder if North Face just was like, hey, we can sell more shoes if we just say it has carbon plate in it. And so they just threw a plate in it. Um, and they have the money and the manufacturing capability yeah. to make it yeah. all happen. So, so we'll see. I mean, I do think that there are some manufacturers that have sp spent more time trying to say, okay, we're going to try and not just put a plate in a shoe, but try and, and mimic the technology in a way that our shoes will perform the way that the Vaporflies have um, and can compete with our runners wearing our shoes, can compete with runners wearing Vaporflies. Um, I think there are some manufacturers who just said, hey, we're going to say this is a plated shoe, and so therefore it's better, and we're going to charge you more for it, and you'll buy it. And I'm wondering which category North Face falls into with this shoe. You know? Right, and you can go kill some fastest known times you can win races but I, it's hard to compare runner to runner mm -hmm. especially off-road mm -hmm. you know as as compared to on-road on-road it's hard enough but off-road it's even mm -hmm. harder now i will say this maybe they have figured out a way to use that carbon differently to shape the shoe differently um, mm -hmm. runners in this shoe talk about how it causes your foot strike to be different Mm -hmm. and to get you more on your toe. Mm -hmm. So maybe that extra stiffness that you can't get with another material without making the shoe heavy because lots of off-road shoes are heavy or that extra shaping uh, does something to promote faster running. Mm -hmm. You know, time will tell. Time yeah. will tell. It, it certainly made a difference on the road scene. Yeah, so, no, no doubt about that for sure. Um, it, you know, it's worth mentioning. I talked about Corey Waltering last week when we talked about uh, the Strava data and Corey Waltering uh, uh, set the fastest known time of 21 days and some number of hours over the course of this 1200 mile uh, uh, trek across Wisconsin. Uh, he was actually wearing a prototype pair of these shoes. Um, and so, so they have a track record. I don't know if I go so, so, so far to call it a proven track record, but, but you know, they, they, they were at least on Corey Waltering's feet when he was doing that, which is pretty impressive here. Um, yeah. What you just said about them maybe making you faster because they get you on your toes more. See that to me feels more that actually not to necessary me, for the trails. Right. And, and not even necessary to be a fast runner because in fact, the research on vapor flies show that they actually did more for people who are heel strikers than they did for people who are four foot strikers. And so, so to me, the idea of being like, oh, well, you're faster if you're four foot striker. I think that, that that's like this mistaken idea that, that people have had over the course of the past decade or so that's finally starting to fade a little bit um, in the mainstream. But, but there's a lot of people who think, oh, well, if you want to be fast, you need to be a midfoot or a forefoot striker. You don't, you can't be a heel striker and be fast. And, and I think finally the pendulum starting to swing back where people are like, no, you can still be a heel striker and be pretty fast. Um, but, but to me, if, if they're marketing it by saying, oh, well, it makes you faster because it also puts you on your forefoot. That to me says, no, they're just, they're preying on people being uninformed consumers. 
I mean, to be fair, North Face is marketing on the existing marketing of carbon plated shoes. Mm-hmm. And then a few elite athletes that set like 14 fastest known times on various trails wearing these shoes. So mm-hmm. I personally never put on a pair of North Face trail shoes that mm-hmm. I even wanted to run in. Um, <laughs> so I think it's interesting that they're the first people to come out with a carbon plated trail shoe. Yeah. Yeah. I would be really, really interested to see if, uh, you know, everybody else follows suit and puts a carbon plate in one of their trail shoes. Mm-hmm. It just seems, I don't know. It seems unnecessary for this type of train, but, uh, I guess we'll a year see. from now, we'll have some pretty good data to figure out what happened. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Speaking of data. So I feel like we're just full of good segues tonight. Um, I'm really good at data, the segue thing. So, so clearly you're very good at segues. Um, speaking of big data, um, I wanted to talk about something that, that I had kind of in the wings to talk about a little bit last week that I didn't get to because we, uh, we went ahead and wrapped things up. But I did want to mention a study um, that uh, falls in line with all the, the, the big data that we were talking about last week. And so um, it's interesting I mentioned how last year there were 73 million users of Strava that uploaded 1.2 billion activities. Um, That's obviously a mind blowing number of things, but it's also an incredibly high amount of data. (laughs) It's it's just a great deal of of stuff that can be analyzed um, to ultimately create information that we can then use to inform our approach to training. Um, And so there's been a few studies using some of this big data over the course of the past few months. And say that I've had like on our on our uh, notes for the show that I've been wanting to talk about for the past few weeks um, kind of segues nicely. But um, it was a presentation that was given um, at the 14th ACM conference on recommender systems. and it was called Fit to Run, Personalized Recommendations for Marathon Training. Um, It was by a group of people from the Insight Center of Data Analytics, which is in Dublin. Um, And they looked at all these marathon runners who were on Strava and they sorted them by time and they looked at some of the big overarching trends in their training to try and say, okay, this is the way that the fastest people on Strava are training. Um, and they didn't say you should definitely start doing all this yourself, but they just said, this is what we see. If we look at the overarching trends in Strava, think about it how you will. Um, and one of the most interesting things, one of the most interesting findings I thought they said is that, um, athletes tend to focus on weeks, which is not all that surprising, but then they said the sequence of weeks that these most successful athletes on Strava tend to use is they tend to have a hard week and then another hard week and then an easy week and then a moderate week. So hard, hard, easy, moderate, hard, hard, easy, moderate. That tends to be kind of their four week cycle. And so it's interesting because there's this real belief in a lot of coaching circles that it should be like hard, 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 easy, hard, 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 easy, like, or, or hard, hard, easy. That third week needs to be a down week. But instead what they found again was hard week, hard week, easy week, moderate week. Okay. And so they said what a hard week was is one that includes more fast training than normal. Um, and so it might have a tempo workout or workout you run as fast as 5k race pace or something else like that. And so a lot of training stimulus comes from those weeks, but also a lot of fatigue. Um, and then an easy week, they said, is one where you do 50% to 67% less training than in your hard week, 
but at the same general pace as some of your previous week's training. And so you still follow the same general guidelines or the same general sequence of the week, the routine of the week as you do in those hard weeks, but you just cut the volume down and you cut it significantly. I think that was one of the big findings too, 50 to 67%. You're only doing 30 or 40% of what you would have been doing during one of your hard weeks there. And then a moderate week is of course, somewhere kind of in the middle there. So, um, you know, I, I'm signed up right now to do the, uh, the Eugene marathon, which is 12 weeks from this weekend. Um, and so particularly given the fact that my last couple of weeks have been so bad, I feel like I need a reset. And so I, I think I'm going to kind of give this a try over the course of the next, uh, three cycles here, three, four week cycles, hard, hard, moderate, or easy, moderate, uh, and just kind of how, see how that goes. Uh, they also said, by the way, that in, in the taper weeks, um, the last three weeks, it's hard, easy, easy. Um, and so, so that's kind of what they would see two easy weeks leading in there as well. So, so yeah, hard, hard easy, moderate. What do you think? The first question I'd ask is George, being a coach for many years, have you ever heard that before? I've never heard the idea of hard, hard, easy, moderate per se. I've definitely heard hard, hard, easy, hard, hard, easy, hard, hard, easy. Many, 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 many times. Right. Um, do you I, feel like, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Do you feel like you can easily differentiate between when you go from that easy week to the moderate week before you go back to the hard week? Like I, what I, would be the differentiation between so. easy and hard with moderate? So, so volume. And, and so that, that was really the thing that stood out here was that the, 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 they actually quantified the difference between hard and easy. They said an easy week is 50 to 67% of what a hard week is, even though you're still doing some tempo runs, you're still doing some, some, other things, you're, you're cutting your volume significantly. And so you still, if you normally run six days a week, Monday through Saturday and take Sunday off, you still run six days a week. It's just, you run significantly less. Yeah. And, and, and you still do tempo runs on the day you do tempo runs and you still do hard runs on the day you do hard runs. It's just that you cut back the, the mileage and then the moderate would kind of be somewhere in the middle. Right. Um, and so it would be less than, than what your, your hard weeks would be, but it would be 80% as opposed to, you know, your full-blown hard week. And um, how do you so think I, that differs from the system that you would generally use now if you were making so, a 10-week trading plan, let's say, so eight, 12 the, the weeks? So the way that I as a coach, okay, so for myself or for my athletes, because for myself- No, we don't care about yourself because you <laughs> train- So, because I tend to do things with myself a little bit more experimentally than I do with my athletes. Because uh, I tend to take a more conservative- You also do a lot athletes. of cross-training. So, so I also do a lot, of, the... a lot more cross-training than most of my athletes do, yeah. Um, but but I, I tend to stack up hard weeks myself. Um, and I do that in part from some of the stuff I read in Jason Coop's book, book, book Jason Coop's book, Jason Coop's book on ultra training. Um, and, and stuff like that, but no, what I, what I think if you were to ask me to describe my training approach, um, when it comes to my athletes, I tend to train moderate, moderate, moderate until something requires us to go easy because almost always with the athletes that I coach, something happens in their life. Like they have a hard week at work or their kid gets sick or something else like that. And the easy week suddenly gets forced. And, and, and I end up making that kind of the easy week. And so we might go moderate, 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 moderate. I'll, I, I very rarely, except for the like the last 10 weeks, we'll set, have what, what you might consider to be a really hard week. Um, but I tend to go moderate, 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 and then forced easy week, because they usually tend to happen once every three or four weeks. Forced easy week, moderate, 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 forced easy week, 
moderate, four CZ week, moderate, 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 four CZ week. And, and do you think if last... you took the succession of what's usually three moderate weeks for you and added in two hard weeks, that even if you decreased, would you decrease the volume on what would be the moderate week? Or would you expect if you didn't decrease the volume on would be a moderate week, but volume increase for the hard weeks. I mean, is an athlete going to be able to adapt to that type of training cycle without injury? So I, I most, most at, yeah, I, I do think so because, because that's the thing, that's the thing about keeping it moderate is that, that you can turn it up and make it harder without having to turn it way up. Right. And, and you're not going to be completely thrown off and just lose all this fitness by going easy. That, that, that your training will stay at kind of a repeatable, consistent level because consistency over time is what matters. The, the, the thing that I found, and, and there's some exceptions to this, I'm coaching an athlete right now who's young and who's single and who's driven, and I will probably put more hard weeks on his schedule you know, once, once I get to know him a little bit better because he and I have only been working together for a couple of months. Um, but what I've found with a lot of the athletes that I coach is that if I say, all right, this week's a hard week, something happens, their kid gets sick. And then what was supposed to be the hard week that we just kind of had, had, you know, we built for a month, we planned for this week to be this really big, huge breakthrough week and, and life intervened and they couldn't do the hard week the way that we wanted to. And so what I found that it's better to keep that sort of moderate level, as opposed to like putting all your eggs in this really good, we're gonna have this great two week hard block, something happens you know, their, their parents go into the hospital, um, their, their, their job starts calling them into late meetings, whatever it happens to be. So I, I kind of feel like this is something that, 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 that lifestyle yeah. precipitates, whether you can actually yeah. assign yeah. it Wait to a an athlete. So, so yeah. if they don't have a adverse life event, it's going to go hard, 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 hard <laughs> no moderate 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 hard. moderate moderate, moderate. No. Hard. yeah but that's what i'm saying is is that 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 if, if you're gonna have true and, and i i will often say with, with athletes that have big goals um i will often say all right like literally months ahead of time i'm like that week i'm taking that week <laughs> and start start getting ready now for that week like people i know that used to do ironman chattanooga i would say the week of labor day don't make any plans. Like I'm taking that week. Um, and, and, and they would know, and they would plan for it for months and, and they would know that that was going to be a really, really hard week. Um, or, you know, a really, really hard two or three weeks, even depending on what happens to be. When I coached, um, the athlete, the, the, uh, Thomas Odom who did solo Ram, you know, we planned months ahead of time that weekend. Don't make any plans with your family. Don't go out of town. Like I'm taking that weekend and you're literally going to start riding your bike on Friday and finish on Sunday. Like that's just how it goes. Um, but I think it's rare with that. You can do that with, with most athletes, most athletes, you can't, you can't have those really high heavy weeks um, because something's going to happen. And so I think you're See, better keeping it at a moderate level and just repeating it and being consistent. So if I understand this correctly, this would not be too hard to fit into my, my favorite training cycle is four weeks. And I, I'm, I don't typically do two hard weeks back to back. It's usually a build in volume and a build in, in difficulty, mm -hmm. say pace. Mm -hmm. So um, instead of calling it hard, hard, easy, moderate, 
it'd be easy, moderate, hard, hard, easy, right. moderate, hard, hard. And right. that would actually fit into the cycle. I guess the difference between what I'm doing in this is I would put more emphasis in that those two hard weeks, make them more similar and then really back it down for that easy week. I don't mm-hmm. back it down to mm-hmm. 30 or 50% yeah. of the training volume. But, it, so but if, you, if, if you do easy, moderate, hard, hard, you're doing the same thing. It's just, you know, thinking about well, a different I, style. So, I am, that, that's the, the same thing as hard, as hard, easy. hard, easy, moderate. It's just, you're starting at a different time. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying the difference would be the easy would be much really less volume easy. than what I'm doing. Yeah. And then two hard weeks in a row with mm-hmm. two good speed workouts mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, something in there mm-hmm. and maybe two big weekends or maybe the differentiator mm-hmm. between the two hard weeks is more speed in one, one bigger weekend. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. It sounds The thing is that if, if this was pulled out of big data, I'm sitting here thinking, why have I never heard of this before? Mm-hmm. If everybody's doing this, all these like mm-hmm. successful athletes, mm-hmm. someone's coaching this. That means there's mm-hmm. some book that says this typically. Or, so. or, or is there? And, and, I, and I, think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the interesting thing about it. So, so, so again, one of the interesting things about it is there, the actual quantification of an easy week. And, and it is, as you just said, it's much easier than I think a lot of us tend to think of. Like it tends to be really easy. Um, and that, but that's not a bad thing. Um, but two um, is, is they're kind of looking at it and they're like, okay, where is this coming from? You know, why, why is this what athletes do? Um, is it because, and, and they didn't say this necessarily, but, but is that because that's what you can sustain? Is that because athletes tend to, I don't know, is it lifestyle factors or is somebody actually expressly articulating this? Um, is this happening because because of what I just described, because they're trying to train hard for week on end and all they can really maintain before life intervenes is two hard weeks, you know, <laughs> and, and, then, and then they have to back way off and then they have to kind of, okay, now I'm just kind of just barely getting back into it. Okay, let's do it hard again. And they maintain it for two more weeks. I mean, maybe that's what's happening. Um, but, but they just said, this is the cycle that, that the fastest runners on, on Strava tend to follow is hard, hard, easy, moderate. So it, it is interesting. It is interesting. It does make I me think, it, it does make me also want to go back and look at some of the, the training cycles that I thought were really good and just sort of look through that lens and see if that's kind of what I did. Right. By, just and, by instinct. Right. And your idea of something happens, you know, there's life event happens and it causes this is really interesting to me because I think what you're saying is it plays out to be a four week cycle. Mm-hmm. And I've found for myself uh, for Grace, um, mm-hmm. for a couple of the other athletes, the older athletes I train, four weeks seems to work. Mm-hmm. Now I don't, I don't sort of, I don't plan it out the same way you do. I plan it out as a four-week block. But one thing that also strikes me about this is, I'm sitting here thinking, if you're running 45 miles a week, and you go, that's your hard week. Your easy week is 25 miles. Sure. And 20. I'm actually not. I don't think that's all that bad. Yeah, I don't think so. And I think it aligns with I'm fighting runners to run at eight minute pace. Like stop running 720s every day. Run Mm -hmm. eight minute pace because I know deep down inside, I know it's true that when they run easy, they're going to be faster. They're going to have less injuries. So that's applying a similar principle to volume over the cycle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to make like intuitive sense but it seems to make 
sense in the fact that you really do need to back it down to recover from mm-hmm. those hard efforts. Mm-hmm. So your runners that won't take their easy days easy, which is I'm sure every coach's nemesis when it comes to coaching. <laughs> do you think that if they had this easy week built in where they had that drop in mileage where they go from 45 to 20 something that would make up for them running 720 on their easy runs versus yeah. eight minutes or above? <laughs> See, I was thinking the same thing. Like, do I, if they're only running 25 miles a week, it's going to be literally impossible to get a runner to run eight minutes. Or is dropping the volume enough of a recovery that if they're running all their other runs too fast, then they might get more of a benefit than if they were actually slowing down their easy runs. And I love that philosophy too, because that's saying we're so dumb as humans that we (laughs) won't run the correct pace. So our bodies are going to self-correct by saying, well, if you drop your volume down really far, or somebody could hire you as their coach and you could just tell them every four weeks, you have to drop the volume like 20 miles a week. Mm-hmm. And this is, <laughs> you yeah. won't get hurt this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I can't argue, if I can't convince you to run slower, I'm going to convince you to run less. Because and, I would argue yeah. that a runner I'm, would I'm listen a- to a week, every four weeks of a massive decrease in mileage, like nine out of 10 times. And, and the same people would just not slow down on their easy runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell them to run by feel. So today I want you to run easy by feel. And you go out and you run 715s. I think easy should be eight minutes. Fine. You felt like that was easy. And then, you know, next week. But you, but you, like but you only ran for 20 minutes. So you're good. Mm. <laughs> yeah. mm. No, I'm saying during their hard week, mm. their, their easy runs okay. are 715 pace for seven miles. Mm. Hey, good job. I don't have to fight with you about pace anymore. Hmm. Um, All right. So speaking of making big plans and training cycles and all that sort of thing, this will be our last segue of the night. It seems like we could test this out. So, so we could indeed. Um, And well, maybe test this out because I think that what we're about to talk about offers all sorts of fantastic little uh, opportunities, but uh, it was announced yesterday that the, the Boston Marathon is rescheduling for a specific date. Uh, they announced the date. They had already announced a few months ago. They're like, yo, we're not going to have it on Patriots Day in April in 2021. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so they announced yesterday that the date for 2021 is going to be October 11th. Right, Michelle? Monday, October 11th. That is um, right. And so if you put all the world marathon majors together, not including the virtual world marathon major, which is on May 1st and 2nd of this year, which we might end up talking about at some later podcast. But um, if you put the six world marathon majors together on September 26th is the Berlin marathon, which I'm signed up for. Um, the 3rd of October is London. The 10th of October is Chicago. The 11th of October is Boston. The 17th of October is Tokyo. And the 7th of November is New York. So, so to be clear there, you have Berlin on one end and New York on the other. And then over the course of three weekends, you have Sunday, London, the following Sunday, Chicago, the day after Chicago, Monday, Boston, and then the Sunday after that, Tokyo. So, There's so much here. <laughs> who do we know that is going to do some sort of combination here? <laughs> well, and, I will and, say And what that is going to be the most badass combination of them all? Because, I know. because we do have, you do have people every year who try and run all six in a year, right? If you're going to run all six of them in a year this year, you're going to have to do the whole thing over the course of just five weeks, including those four middle ones over the course of just three weeks. 
right? I did reach out to a friend of the podcast, Robert Hudson, who you'll recall, we talked to him uh, last year, the year before when he did Berlin and then Chicago and then uh, New York all in a row and basically did all three of them faster than the one he did before uh, to see whether he was actually considering the London, Chicago, Boston, Tokyo quadruple. Um, and he said, probably not. <laughs> but, um, but but what do you think do you think anybody's going to try and like like put it all together michelle are you going to try and put them all together i'm not going to try and put them all together but i do believe that it has been confirmed that if you want to run chicago on sunday and boston on monday you have to first go to boston pick up your race packet at the expo on boston <laughs> in boston then go to chicago get your number for chicago run Chicago on Sunday. And then there is, I think a few flight, there's two flights I think that will get you back to Boston Sunday night and you'll get a few hours sleep before you've got to get on the bus to get out to Hopkinton for Monday morning. So um, I think that might be more badass than <laughs> going international and coming I, back. See, I don't know. Uh, okay. But, but if you did, if you did the, the London on one end, Tokyo on the other end, then you'd be doing that in the middle. And so you'd have to come London, run London to Boston, pick up your number in Boston to Chicago, do Chicago, back to Boston, do Boston to Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a little bit crazy. I will say the general enthusiasm, enthusiasm from the Boston Athletic Association announcing <laughs> a race date for the fall has been pretty exciting. Mm. Um, I think you can, I don't want to say it feels normal because it's the Boston marathon on Columbus day, like in the fall, <laughs> but I mean, new England is beautiful in the fall. So, yeah. uh, but yeah. everybody I know went and got a hotel room. <laughs> so, you know, I guess we'll, we have to wait and see how many people they're going to let in. Mm -hmm. Um, they've already confirmed that qualifying, uh, times that are from, the September 2018 date that would have been used for the April 2020 race uh, will be where they start. So okay. it'll just be interested to see uh, how many people fill the field in person, mm -hmm. whether they also offer a virtual option, which I think mm -hmm. they said they were. I'm not sure about that. But um, yeah, it seems like there's a lot to be determined. And I think that is the Boston Athletic Association director, isn't he the one who's trying to get like thousands of people per yeah. day vaccinated. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I feel yeah, his like- His name is Dave McGillivray. Yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of us have thought, you know, if you want to get people vaccinated quicker, give it to somebody who runs one of these world marathon major expos or a race director <laughs> or something. And I think we found out that, yeah, McGillivray basically is putting everybody together um, with a goal of getting 5,000 people a day uh, vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah, and the goal of having every Massachusetts resident vaccinated before you know an onslaught of tens of thousands of people come to his state yeah they're doing it at gillette stadium um a mass vaccination site there and he's in charge of logistics of that um and they're they're aiming to do five thousand vaccinations a day which you know there's obviously a lot more vaccinations per day need to be done in the united states at large but you know that's one site of doing doing five thousand a day is his goal there at gillette stadium so so good luck to him um uh, and definitely like like, are you gonna do it so am i gonna do the boston marathon yeah no no i'm mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm signed up for for rescheduled berlin 
and I'm signed up for 2022 Tokyo, Tokyo? which okay. is which was also rescheduled from 2020. I deferred to 2022. So it's going to be at its normal regular date, which is going to be in March. And so between having late September, September 26th, the Berlin Marathon, and then I want to say like March 1st or February 28th or something like that is when the uh, when the Tokyo Marathon is. That's enough for me. Um, <laughs> I don't need to so do I don't need to do that many so so, so close together. I don't think. Um, of course I say that now, maybe I'll change my mind. So, um, we'll see if they, if they start like putting out that it's going to be like the Halloween version of the marathon. And this year, instead of having blue and gold, we're going to have like orange and, and yellow as our colors. I don't know. I might get sucked in, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Eric rolls his eyes at that. <laughs> I mean, there's Tokyo's on the line for a lot of stuff this year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that would mean hosting the Olympics over the summer, hosting the marathon in October, and then being ready to host the regularly scheduled 2022 marathon back in March. Yep. Yep. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It is a um, lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. And then a little bit on the Olympics. We talked a lot about the Olympics last week, but you saw that the, uh, the Olympic committee, the international Olympic committee actually put out a statement this week saying that we need to vaccinate athletes first. Um, and so they are they are saying that that athletes should be among the first people vaccinated in countries because they serve as ambassadors for their country, um, clearly with an with an eye to uh, let's get the athletes vaccinated, get them in Japan and have the Tokyo Olympics. But um, I, that, that doesn't change a whole lot. My, my, my opinion that we just expressed last week. I don't know if you all feel the same. Yeah, way. I mean, I think the IOC was forced to issue a formal statement because of the piece that came out from the Times. Mm -hmm. that you know basically sent everyone spiraling that the olympics have been canceled mm -hmm. so i think they just came out with an official statement <clears throat> that basically said we haven't canceled anything it's our hope that athletes are basically among you know the first people to get vaccinated uh everywhere and before they come for the olympics and i also don't think it changes anything i also think um even though they say vaccination isn't obligatory they very much want athletes to take precedence over lots of other members of this world, our societies that should have the vaccine first. So yeah. feels a little bit wrong. I don't know, self-fulfilling, yeah. but I guess we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, so. A little self-serving. I agree. Um, so yeah, we, we will see what happened. I, I, my, my, my evaluation or my assessment of the situation vis-a-vis -vis the Olympics is about the same as it was last week, but, but we'll see. Eric, give us a last word, man. I don't really have a last word after that discussion. <laughs> I th you know, being an ultra runner, you think that would interest me, but I have no interest <laughs> in, in even just the flying back and forth yeah. between Chicago and Boston. That sounds logistics that sounds are killer. Yeah. The logistics are killer. They often are. So Michelle. I guess my final word is no way. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, final word. <laughs> um, I said previously, I wasn't sure if I would want to run Boston if it was held but I am guilty of booking a hotel room for that weekend in October. So, <laughs> What a great last word. Um, thanks y'all for joining us once again. Uh, thanks everybody. Thanks Eric and Michelle for being here. We'll see you next time. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. 
You can find us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance, at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx. That's the number four, here4slayerx. On Instagram at here4slayerx. Again, the number four. And on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.